Let's give our praise team a hand this morning. Amen. Well, it's good to be back, and I'd love to pick up right where we left off. Uh, We'd been talking in the church uh, about what it meant to be an apprentice. That that most of the things in our life... uh, that are fairly complex, we probably didn't learn just in a classroom, you know. Uh, You probably learned to drive a car not from a book in driver's ed. Somebody got in the passenger seat next to you. You you probably didn't learn to swim from a book or an instructional video. Uh, Somebody got in the water with you. And the ancients, this was the university of years past. This was the common way of transferring, not just learning, but a pattern of life. And it was called discipleship or apprenticeship. And when Jesus called 12 to be with him, that he might send them out in the same ministry that he himself was walking in, people just presumed that that was what was going on. That was the pattern in the day. Uh, if, if I said, uh, she's going to school, you would probably imagine a classroom with many desks, a blackboard up front, a teacher teaching and lecturing, kids taking notes. I mean, that's, that's the pattern. But in the pattern of that day, the way people really learned life was from a rabbi, from a teacher who taught not just concepts and not just from a book, but really a way of life. So that when Jesus invited others to be disciples for him, he didn't just say, go and read my books, which he hadn't written. He actually said, uh, come and follow me. Follow me. Now, if we were one of those first 12 disciples, the solution to that is simple. You drop your nets, you go. He's right there. You follow him. But today, now that Jesus in his bodily form has died, been resurrected, ascended to the Father, sent his Holy Spirit, where do we look for that kind of modeling of the life? How is it that we become fully developed disciples today? And uh, I think this idea of apprenticeship, of being in close relationship with someone else with whom we walk out this life, from whom we learn better this life, to whom we pass along this life, is is at the core of discipleship that often our more sophisticated ways of doing things in classrooms and in large groups seem to lack today. There's power here in learning to do as Jesus did. But how do you do that? Who do you follow? And we discovered that Paul actually made this very clear. He said to his followers, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, that's, that's great. You know, he was, he, he, he was Paul, you know. He, he, he was called, of course, follow him as he follows Christ. But you're suggesting I'm going to go up to someone and say, follow me as I follow Christ, that that formula still works? Why not? Why not? Not just you. It's not just follow me. But it's follow me as I follow 
Christ. It's still tied to that same anchor. It's still enfleshing the word of God that we've always known. But there is a, a practical show me. There is a practical strength of walking alongside that I think sometimes we miss. That we can rediscover if we're willing to establish these kind of relationships with one another. No one's going to force you to do it. I'm telling you this right now. Your pastor is not going to take down all the names of the people in the church, decide who needs to be disciples and who needs to be disciples and match them up by name and zip code. That ain't going to happen, okay? No one is going to be forced to do anything. But what I would like to discover is as you've heard this explained, uh, in order for me to shepherd this well and in order for us to move together towards it, it is going to be helpful for you to reflect, for you to express some of where you feel called in this. Some of you may not feel called to this at all. No one's going to push you, all right? But I do want to offer it to you. And for those of you for whom this feels like a a heart calling in this season of your life, I, I want to get us mobilized in that. I, as your pastor, need to know, is four of us stirring with this or is 40 of us stirring with this? Where can it start? And the rest of us learn from those who are doing it. And if it's something that continues to draw us in, then make a later decision. I don't know where you may be in this, but I want us to lay out the concepts clearly enough that if God so calls you, the Spirit can define for you how it is that you might respond. But the first hurdle to get over is this simple knee-jerk reaction of, who, me sponsor somebody? Are you kidding me? I'm no expert. Well, at some point, I think every single person who's ever followed Christ was not an expert. So that can't exclude you. What is it that qualifies you to be a good sponsor of others spiritually? What is it that you must do as one who is being sponsored to let that relationship grow you in your faith. I want to look for some of those clues this morning, and we're calling them the Barnabas factors. The Barnabas factors. Now, we started on this some four or five weeks ago, so there's going to be a little retread here. Uh, But I don't think that's going to hurt anybody, because I listened to my last sermon on this and thought it was pitiful. So... um, Give me another shot at this. Maybe we'll get a little bit better. There's two guys that sponsored one another, discipled one another, Robinson, and then Duncan, and then now Aldridge. That that sponsoring works in sports, works in business. But the place where it worked most profoundly, I think, from the very beginning was in this spiritual way. You can be a Barnabas. Why do I say a Barnabas? Well, Barnabas is really not a name. Barnabas is a nickname. The nickname was for a guy from Cyprus named Joe. And, you know, so this is is my statement to you. Any Joe Christian can become a sponsor. And every Joe Christian needs this kind of relationship. You've heard it said before, speaking from Saul's point of view, whose sponsor was Barnabas and who sponsored Timothy, that everyone needs a Barnabas and everyone needs a Timothy in their life. And I think that's very true if we're part of the dynamic of growing and making disciples. This is key to it. And it can also be for us. 
So what qualifies us? That's the question. And I think this is the answer. What qualifies us is that the Holy Spirit lives within us. It's interesting, isn't it? I think this is the solution to the great problem and the dilemma that we had earlier. Jesus isn't here, so who do we follow? Jesus spent the Holy Spirit so that we could follow those, learn from those in whom the Spirit now lives within. What's the ministry of the Spirit? He is the parakletos. Ha! The parakletos. I, I don't know of a better... Para means alongside. Kletos means to strengthen, to embolden, to, to build up, you know? It's like a, a paracletes toss. They, they, they give you... I know, it's bad, but it's the way I remember the Greek. You know, it's a it's footing, strength, traction. A parakletos. Right? So, someone called alongside to help you. Holy Spirit. How, how does the Holy Spirit come alongside to help? The Holy Spirit comes alongside to help many times. Not just in some kind of spiritual connection between the two of us. But in, in the words. In the relationship. In the support. In the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, living inside that friend that does come alongside to walk with us. Does that make sense? This mentoring, sponsor-sponsee relationship is a means by which the Holy Spirit can work His work in our life to grow us up as disciples. So any Joe Christian in whom the Holy Spirit lives. Is there any Christian in whom the Holy Spirit does not live? Theologically, the answer to that question is no. When we received Christ into our heart, Christ comes into our heart in the person of the Holy Spirit. This solves that spatial dilemma for us. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father on the throne waiting for us someday to come and enjoy the meal. Over, And, and he is interceding for us at the Father's throne. He sends the Holy Spirit to live within our hearts and to do his will in this, in this world. Go therefore and make disciples of all people and surely I am with you. How does he fulfill that promise? By his Holy Spirit. So any Joe Christian, okay, will you do this to just say, that's me? That's me. Any Joe Christian can be a Barnabas. Why did they call Joe Barnabas? Because Bar means son of, and Nabas means encouragement. Encouragement. It's akin to that word, kletos. It means to encourage, to strengthen, to be a partner in. The, the most common word for Christian fellowship is a word called quanonia, and it refers to partnership. It says of the disciples, those Peter and James and John, they were partners in the fishing business. They were quanonoi. They shared that life with one another. The nights when they couldn't catch anything, the nights when they caught so much, the successes, the difficulties, they were in it together, in it fully. They were, they were partners in this life. And, and I think our life as disciples takes on a new kind of momentum and a new kind of strength 
when we live it out in these kinds of partnerships. Number one, the first thing I want us to understand is that any of us, any Holy Spirit-filled believer can be a son of encouragement. And Barnabas, we'll discover him in Acts chapter 4, was just such a person. The first characteristic that we can identify as being Barnabas-like in this Joe Christian was his great spirit of generosity. This morning, I'm just going to call it, if you're a good Barnabas, Barnabas, you're a self-giver. Now, what Barnabas did was he saw the need of all the people in Jerusalem, these new believers, and he had a vacation home or a vacation spot on the island of Cyprus, very expensive land in Cyprus, known for its copper mines, the kind of place that well, you're saving up for a home to go retire someday on the beach. Cyprus is an island. It must have been that kind of place. He, he sells his property on Cyprus, takes the proceeds of that property, and it sets an example that the whole church comes to follow in giving of what he had so that others' needs might be met. A, a, a Barnabas is someone that sees others. They have eyes to see, eyes to notice, eyes to... Uh, pick up on other people's needs. They are not people blind, right? That's one of the first characteristics of a Barnabas. And when they see other people's needs, something in them wants to respond and be part of God's response to that. But Barnabas had property, so he sold the property and he gave the money. But generosity here is primarily not money, I think. Which, which Joe is that? You know, which Joe are you talking about? We got a lot of Joe Christians around here. Well, you know, Joe. Joe from Cyprus? We've got several Joes from here. What, what Joe are you talking about? Barnabas. Oh, the encouraging guy. It was so much a part of who he was that it was his distinction among all those other Joe Christians. He, he was an encourager. He had a way of coming alongside you owning it with you, getting in the mess with you. You understand? He saw the needs of those who were impoverished. And rather than just, oh, Lord, bless those poor people, he did something about it. He got involved. He got connected. He attached himself to those others. And, and, and that's the spirit of a good sponsoring, discipling person. They, they give themselves... They make room for others in their life. And the way that usually works out is not that you do so much more when you're discipling another so much as you take them along in what you already do. We're not talking about filling the seat next to you in church. I'm talking about filling filling the seat next to you in the car. When you go to lunch, when you go to the ball game, when you go to the concert, who are you making room for in your life that they might come to understand life the way you do it? It's much more about making room there than it is about uh, bringing someone into the church house, though that can be a part of it too. They're self-givers. They give their time. They give their tips. They give their training. Most of all, 
they give themselves. And they do that by asking not just what am I doing today, but the who question. Who am I going to invite into my life to go along with me? I've always been amazed by those folks that at Thanksgiving and Christmas time would ask the who question. Who do I know that is isolated from the kind of Christmas experience my family is going to have? Who can I invite into it? That's more the spirit of a discipler, of a sponsor that we're talking about. They're self-giving. And, and when people give themselves that way, it is so much more beneficial to those who are receiving it than if they just sit, receive instruction and are told to go do it. While I was away on, on, on vacation, I got about five minutes of instruction. That's all it was for an experience I had never had before. And the truth of the matter was I had to wear a helmet and, and get on all kinds of equipment and put goggles on and uh, stoppers in my ears to protect my ears and 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 I I was going to be facing gale force winds of of over 100 miles an hour and just throwing myself into that wind there's people get killed facing winds at that speed and with five minutes of instruction I was okay with doing that you know why (laughs) because the guy who was instructing me was going in ahead of me and here's what it looked like I was the guy in the blue. Uh, now, had I done that alone, I would probably look like a bug on a windshield right now. But, 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 but what happened there was I had a partner. I had a partner who had done that a few more times than I could. I, I, it, it, there's no way I could have spun up in the top of that thing and come back down on my own. But because I had someone walking alongside me, this is what partnership does for us. Why is it that Jesus sent out his disciples in twos? And we send them out solo. Jesus was on to something. I think he knew that we needed one another. But, but, but we need a special kind of another. Not so much that we're qualified with all the answers because we don't have all the answers. And this guy didn't even give me all the answers. He just let me jump into life with him. You know, now actually that was my second time in there. Uh, Both times lasted about that long. I won't tell you how much it cost to do it or you'd think your pastor was crazy with money. But anyway, it was great fun. Great fun. It was exhilarating. Why shouldn't discipleship be that kind of adventure? Who are you taking along? And if our lives don't walk out our faith quite as much, 
if you're going to sponsor someone, do you think that might motivate you to get a little more involved somewhere? Uh, a little more invested in ministry somehow. It doesn't just help the sponsee, it helps the sponsor, but it's always important that we have certain kinds of eyes in the way we see one another. This is how Barnabas saw others around him, particularly uh, one named Saul. If you turn over to Acts chapter 9, Saul has been the persecutor of the church. He'd been locking Christians up, throwing them in jail. He says in other passages that he beat these people. Uh, He was meaning to be a serious discouragement, and really he was a terrorist against the church. That's what he was. And yet God chose that terrorist to be his prime propagator of the faith throughout the whole Mediterranean world. But who would have seen it at first? Who would have seen it at first? I'll tell you who saw it, and it was a Barnabas. To be a Barnabas takes a special kind of vision. Now, even Christians and people of faith don't necessarily have this vision. But, but not everybody becomes a tool of God in someone else's life to help them become all that they can be for God either. If you look there in, in, the, in chapter 9, Saul has had an encounter with God. He's become a Christian, but no one really trusts it yet. Maybe he's just infiltrating the church in order to find out where they are so they can lock up men. There's a lot of suspicion about this. Is this real? Do people really tra- change this dramatically? And, and when Saul, verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to Saul and how at Damascus Saul had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. How did Barnabas know these things? He had had a conversation. Now, there's a lot that must have happened there that, that it's not really fleshed out. Can I, can I show you where my imagination goes with that? You know what it's like. Uh, Saul's a, a new believer, but no, this guy has a past, a serious past, a serious reputation. He shows up at the, at the Christian group, and everyone kinds of frowns. You know who that is? There's whispering in the corner. That's Saul. Is that not Saul? I think that's Saul. He locked up my brother last week. Isn't that Saul? And he says he's a Christian? <laughs> right? I saw him last Saturday night. We don't ever talk like that in the church, do we? We, we, we don't do that. There, there are some within the church that say they have the gift of discernment. Which is probably much more the gift of criticism. But, but Barnabas was not just aware of what he had been. Barnabas trusted God to be so active in that life to see Saul as a person that was now a construction site of God's grace. And Barnabas wanted to get in on it. He had watched God change others' lives. And rather than going back to his retirement home on Cyprus, he sold the house so he could get in on what he saw God doing in Jerusalem. He wanted to be a part of something like that. He wanted to see lives changed. He knew what God could do. And what God could do with this guy, with the mind that he has, with his understanding of Scripture, he, 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 he could... 
if, if he really is a Christian, imagine what a mind like that could do in translating the faith, not only to Jews, but to people who are also like him, part Roman, part Gentile. This is like God's incredible witness dynamo in the making if it's true. And somehow Barnabas trusted God even more than he trusted Saul. And despite everything else that was wrong in Saul's life, and there must have been a lot of things that were carry over from the people that we used to be. Don't all of us carry a bunch of baggage and junk in? But, but nevertheless, these, these Barnabases don't just see the junk and criticize it. They see what God's doing and they light a fire under it. They say, man, when I... I, can't, I can see why God chose you to follow after him because once you truly jump in with both feet, I can see you doing this and I can see you do, Wouldn't it be neat the way God uses this in your past in order to bless these kind of people in the future? Barnabas is to look into people's lives and see all kinds of potential that even they themselves cannot see. I saw a, a, a story on the TV just this last weekend of a, of a young lady who was wanting to bless her teacher because her teacher was the first person that ever looked at her and saw in her any kind of potential to develop Barnabas says see the seed in a person that can become a great oak of God's maturing do you have eyes to see that in people can you see what could be God in them as the Holy Spirit is in you plant that same spirit in them what comes to the imagination Barnabas says don't just see that they speak that. They support that. They, they vouch for that. They, they back up their brothers. They introduce them to others. This isn't about a solo relationship with one person that's going to share with you what it means to be a Christian. So you become just like that person. A good Barnabas connects you with the whole body of Christ. So you're not just learning from them. You're learning from them in the context of many other relationships. It says that, that Barnabas took Saul took Saul. Do you, do you hear that? There, there, it's not he invited him along. You know? Hey, if you want to come to church that, next week, that's where I'm going to be. Now, th- this guy would have driven the car over there, showed up, gotten him out of bed, and ta- he took Saul into the meeting as if to say to all the other critical Christians there, he's with me, And he's going to be with me. If you're going to love me, you're going to love him. It was that kind of spirit. He vouched for him. He told him about everything that had happened on the Damascus Road. That that Jesus had, had confronted him in a blinding light. And he was blind for three days. But then our brother Ananias went and prayed for him. The scales fell from his eyes. He realized that God was calling him into a whole new life. And now he's following Jesus too. He told the whole story. How did he tell the whole story? He saw Saul trying to associate with the brethren in Jerusalem. And all of them shunning him. And, 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 and he saw. He saw. Do you see? Do you see the people that come in on Sunday morning and maybe they're just, you know, they're just kind of checking it out and they're, they're not really sure what this kind of place is. Do, do, do we jump pews? Do we dance with snakes? Do we set things on fire? What, what, kind of a, what kind of a Christian place is this? There's so many out there today and so many of them, so many of us would, would not be sure we want to be a part of. It takes a lot of guts to walk in a church these days. Do you realize that? And these people with these courageous hearts come in. Who who notices the person that no one else is talking to? 
Who attaches? And that's something a Barnabas heart does even before there's a Barnabas relationship there. Somehow Barnabas knew Saul's whole story by the time they walked into the church at Jerusalem. He'd been listening. I don't know how much he had told Saul, but he had listened a lot to Saul. You know, that's what a lot of the people that you will someday sponsor will find in you if you're a good Barnabas, that you will have listened deeply to their story. You'll be able to share it. You'll be able to interpret it. You'll be able to introduce them to others within the body of Christ that can be a blessing to them. This is part of a role of being a Barnabas. Barnabas took Saul. And it says in the very next verse, after Saul uh, was taken by Barnabas, that Barnabas was now with them. Can you imagine a church like that? Where every church... Every person that is with them or with us is attached to someone. That kind of blows my mind. We're so independent in the church. You know, we, we, we want drive-by church. We'll come, we'll participate, we'll listen, we'll leave. Uh, but don't get attached. Ooh, sticky, 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 you know. But, 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 but this, is, this is the way... That's not the environment in which discipleship flourishes. It flourishes where you have a relationship where you're walking with someone who knows you so deeply that they can interpret all that's happening in some way that becomes very practical, that takes traction in your own life. You are partners in it, right? Imagine a train. How far would a train get without couplers? You know what I'm talking about? The, the things that, that, that connect. And, and, and if we're all connected to the locomotive of the Holy Spirit, part of how we take the journey together is by this, by this coupling, I think. By these intentional, and intentional relationships. Eyes to edify. That's how Barnabas saw Saul. But it wasn't just how he saw Saul. He had that same spirit uh, later on in the book of Acts. A revival breaks out. In Antioch, and Antioch is an interesting place. It's not a place where there's a lot of Jews. In fact, Antioch is the first place that revival breaks out almost solely among Gentiles. It's in chapter 11. There it is, the church at Antioch. It's on the right-hand side of the page in my Bible. Verse 19, chapter 11. So those who were... Uh, scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution that broke out there with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to, to no one except to Jews only. Why? Because it was common among the Jews who'd become Christians to think that you had to become a good Jew before you could become a Christian. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus. Where was Barnabas from? Cyprus. And, and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So the church at Jerusalem hears about this Gentile 
I thought we all had to be good Jews before we could follow after Jesus. No, he's pouring out his spirit even on people who aren't Jews, who are not circumcised, who, who have just walked out of whatever culture that they were in into this relationship with Christ. That's the connection that matters. And it's exploding in Antioch. Who are we in Jerusalem going to send to Antioch? You know, you could send the wrong kind of guy. What have you sent to Antioch, somebody who walked in, and, and God is doing incredible things in people's lives, and it's, it's bringing in all sorts of people. You know what I'm talking about? All sorts of That was one of the best compliments ever paid me by a DS. She meant it as a derogatory statement because she didn't like me at all. She said that Chris Busker, he brings in all kinds of people. And uh, I, I wear it like a merit badge to this day. One of the favorite things I've ever heard said, uh, yes. That's right. I want, to, I want to have a Barnabas heart, you know. They, they could have sent the wrong people. They could have sent people up to Antioch that were critical about how they dressed, critical about the language they used, critical about not opening the Torah correctly, critical about not being circumcised. They could have found many, many things that they needed to shape up about that bunch up in Antioch. They had never been in a synagogue. They weren't church broke. They don't know when to stand up, when to sit down, when to shut up, not, you know, not to bring their sausage in on a plate and eat it at the, if you did that this morning, I'm not, I'm not singling, singling, but, but you know what I'm talking about? They, 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 they didn't know. <laughs> they had to send the right sort of person. Later on, they'd send the wrong kind of people and it would, it, it would wreak all kinds of havoc in the church. But they were wise. Who can we send? Who can we send that would really encourage those Barnabas? So it says in the very next phrase, and when word of it reached Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas. Strategically good choice. And what did he see in those people when he got there? Did he see all the stuff that was wrong? Did he see all the stuff that... They had drug in there from their past lives. I say yes. You know why? Because this is the way it reads. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. The very word there is is the same word that's used in the Gospel of John to abide. To stay connected, true to Christ. That's where the life is. I'm not coming to tell you that you have to live like me. I'm coming alongside you to connect you to him. That's the spirit of a Barnabas. Does that make sense? That's the spirit of a Barnabas. But, but notice what he could. He, did he see all that junk? Absolutely. It, it's there in that little phrase. And he saw, what's the phrase? It says, and he saw the grace of the Lord. Isn't that right? What does he say? And when he had come, he witnessed the grace of God. Now, how do you do that? What does the grace of God look like when you look at a bunch of people? (laughs) What would it mean if you looked at a bunch of people and instantly your impression was, wow, trophies of grace? You know what I'm talking about? These people were a mess, but for Jesus. And aren't we all? These people were a mess, but for Jesus. 
He, saw, he looked at these people and all he saw was, wow, God's grace. He loves even these. He, he, he loves them with an abandon and they are discovering Christ. Christ is pouring himself out here and, and, and Barnabas didn't see all the stuff he could have corrected. Young lady, what do you mean walking in here dressed like that? Hey, bub, don't you need don't you need to sober up a bit before you come in for the readings of the scripture? How, how many think don't you know you're supposed to bow towards the Torah? Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? And of course they don't know. And frankly, it doesn't really matter all that much. If the life-giving core is there, are they connected to Jesus? God always cleans his fish after he catches them. That's true for all of us. Who ought to know that better than us? And Barnabases have that kind of mentality where they can see all the garbage, yes. But they speak grace. They speak God's favor. They speak God's destiny. They speak God's next. We'll deal all with all that as we go. It's not that we're going to dismiss anything of character or, or, or something that offends God or, 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 or something that's going to hold you back in your journey to be more like Christ and be a winsome witness for him. No, we're going to come to deal with all of that. But Barnabas see what God is doing in someone else's life foremost and they jump on that train. They have eyes to edify. That was true in how he saw Barnabas. That was true in how he saw the church at Antioch. Dad, come it, where's the time gone? He attached in order to fully bring them in. And, and I, I want to share this one more thing that we have not shared before. And, and that is this last piece of reclaiming and accountability. I'm going to have to do it quickly. But this is what it looks like. You know, I, I've, I've, I've heard Christians many times talk about, well, you know, you just need a little accountability. Accountability. How, how many people are longing for accountability? That's, that's what I thought. Everybody's lining up for accountability. Who, who wants accountability? That sounds like someone else telling me what to do according to their schedule and according to their plan. That is not accountability. Accountability in this kind of relationship is someone coming alongside you and helping you discern what it is that God is calling you to do next. And then what do they do? They come alongside and give you traction in what you're already convicted God wants to do in your life. They are not a controller. That's cultic and that's sick. They are a vessel for the Holy Spirit that honors your freedom to follow by the freedom of the Spirit working in your own heart. They speak truth but they let you choose. They show you what they see, but they let you determine. This is your life. How, who would not want a friend like that in their lives? That's what this looks like. Accountability. Accountability is always healthiest when it is first invited. 
Brother, I want to invite you to speak the truth to me in love. Anything that you see in my life that doesn't look like it's honoring God or I'm getting off track, I I want you to bring it up to me. I'm not saying I'm going to do exactly what you tell me, but I want your eyes working in my life. That's accountability. That's invited. But these relationships are sometimes even more redemptive than that. It's not just the daily traction of of, of working in your life and letting the Holy Spirit purify you, the Holy Spirit uh, perfects you, the Holy Spirit use you in ministry. Uh, We don't have to be perfect as sponsors. Barnabas wasn't perfect as a sponsor. But Saul was a new Christian there in Jerusalem because he was with them and because Saul must have seen all this in him, he starts arguing with the Hellenistic Jews about Christianity. These, these Roman Jews, that was Paul's sweet spot, right? It, it was like something, somebody had identified that for him. He starts getting in all these quarrels with these Hellenistic Jews. If you look back in chapter 9, that's what happens. And, and Paul gets in such a quarrel with these people that they want to kill him. <laughs> How's that for effective apologetics? They want to kill him. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but Paul may have been saying all the right things, but with the wrong spirit. Paul would later on say to Timothy, the one that he sponsored, have nothing to do with, with quarrels and speculations because they're fruitless. I wonder where he learned that. He came by it honest. He blew it. He messed up. And the other Christians there, apparently it doesn't mention Barnabas being around. Barnabas must have been off on another one of those assignments of the apostles, doing what he did when he came alongside to help others. And he wasn't there. The other Christians decided, you know, this is just blowing up on us. Let's put Saul back on a boat to Tarsus, where he came from. And after that, it says, peace ruled in Jerusalem. It's it's almost a, a funny little statement there. After they got rid of Paul, everything settled down. Thank God they got rid of the provoker, you know. He goes home to Tarsus. Apparently he continues to be a Christian there, but it seems that he's sidelined. We don't hear anything from Saul for 13 years. I wonder if he thought, man, I I wanted to be a Christian, but maybe it's just not for me. I blew it. I blew it. I got all those people mad at me. I wasn't effective. Maybe... Maybe I'm just too broken a person. Maybe God doesn't really use people like me. I mean, with my past, doesn't that make sense? Who could trust a guy like me? Maybe I'm a person that shouldn't be speaking for Christ. Maybe I just give Christ a, a bad name. Maybe I am embarrassed the things of God, trying to say that I could speak for him after all the stuff that I could do and all the stuff that was in my past. I mean, isn't that what the people in Jerusalem were trying to tell me in an indirect way? Then Barnabas goes to Antioch. He's a part of that great revival. He encourages those people. And as soon as he encourages them, the first thing that Barnabas does is he leaves to go find Saul in Tarsus. This is not on the way to Antioch. It is way, he goes to, can you imagine? Uh, Barnabas shows up. Saul, Saul. Knock, knock, knock. Saul, are you in there? Barnabas. Barnabas from Jerusalem. That, 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 that's, like, that's like Atlanta. And, and, and he had heard maybe that Barnabas had gone to Tulsa. But he's living in California. Do you understand? So, Barnabas, Barnabas, what are you doing here? 
Are, are you coming here to evangelize Tarsus? No, Saul, there's only one reason I'm here. And it's for you. God's not finished with you. I need you. Would you come to Antioch? It's T-ball for a guy like you. I see all your strengths and all your learnings and all your tendencies. If Christ could harness them, having a great impact there in Antioch. They're all Gentiles, Saul. I'm a Jew. I can't relate. They need someone that's one of them to talk to them about the things of the faith. Someone that they can trust. Someone who knows enough that they can teach. You need to come with me. And they went back to Antioch and they taught there for a year before Saul then went to Jerusalem. In Galatians, it talks about Saul going to to Jerusalem and it's after 13 years. It was 14 years before he made that trip according to Galatians. For 13 years, the greatest apostle who ever lived was sidelined. But Barnabas showed up. I don't have time to tell all the stories, but Pastor Huber says that some of his greatest home team leaders, some of his greatest sponsors are those people that were former backsliders. They know what it is to mess up, and they know what people need when they mess up. And number one is they show up. He had one one little guy named Joe Bear, I believe was his name. I don't speak Portuguese, so this name's hard for me. Joe Bear. Joe Bear got saved at a at a youth event on the on the on the beach and campfire, and it was glorious. And he became a Christian, but it wasn't a week later he had backslidden. So so they went and got him, and they recruited him, and he. Came to a baptism class. And he got in a baptism class for six or eight weeks. Got on fire again and then got out of that baptism class and backslid. They went after him. They went, come, come on, come on and help us with the praise team. He came back. He played in the praise team for several months. And then, then he'd backslide. Then he'd backslide. Then, then the pastor went after him. Abe went after him. And he, he said, come and you're so good on the guitar. Could you compose as well? Yeah, I compose stuff. Well, why don't you be one of our worship leaders in one of these new churches? He came back and was a worship leader. And then, and then he backslid. He backslid. Pastor Abe was on his way to church one morning. Apparently, you know, people walk through the streets on their way to church. And he sees Joe Bear coming at him. And he's got a prostitute under each arm. Walking through the streets that morning. Apparently, uh, still enjoying the night. More ways than one. And he walked towards Pastor Abe. And Pastor Abe ran over to him, prostitute still there, and said, Praise the Lord, George Bear, the peace of the Lord be upon you. And those prostitutes looked at each other and went in different directions, you know. Just spoiled. But he was backslidden. Pastor Abe Tried to encourage him to come back. He didn't come back. And then one morning while he was working on his sermon, so many other things pressing upon him, God said, go get Joe Bear. He said, God, I don't have time to go get Joe Bear. I've got other things that I need to do. He said, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm going to trust you with the 99, can I not trust you to go get the one? Pastor Abe said, oh, Lord, that's not fair. So he left. He went. He talked to his mom. He outside. In that culture, you walk up to the door. Instead of knocking on the door, you <laughs> clap outside in the courtyard. And somebody comes to the door. He says, it's Joe. 
is Joe Bear inside? And she says, well, he's out back. And he said, well, would you mind if I, if I talk to him? She says, I'll go ask. She goes in the backyard. So apparently she talks to Joe Bear. She comes back and he says, no, Joe Bear does not want to talk to you. He said, fine, God, I did what you told me to do. I'm off the hook. He took four steps in the other direction. And God said, turn back around. He turned back around. He turned back around and he looked at this mother's face. And he said, do you think maybe I could talk to him anyway? And she was a mom. She knew what was going on. Yeah, I think so. Come this way. She took him through the house, out in the backyard. He was out in the back in one of his recovery spots under a tree, trying to enjoy some shade that morning. Probably his head still spinning from the night before. He walked over to Joe, Joe Bear and he said, Joe Bear, God bless you. Get on your feet, man. Get on your feet, man. You don't belong here. You belong in God's house. God needs you and God's going to use you and God is raising you up to be a great agent of his for the kingdom in this world. In the name of Jesus, I declare it over you. And when he said that, something in Joe Bear later he confessed, it shook him. It shook him and he heard it and that reality started breaking in on Joe Bear. Joe Bear's been a, a leader in that church now for 20 some odd years. He invited Pastor Abe over recently to his large house with his large family. Joe Bear then witnessed to his mom. She became a Christian. The brothers in the house became a Christian because he was fully in with the Lord. And he continued, he's witnessed and, and led over 100 home teams in that church over that 20 year period. Started several churches. He invited him into his large house, invited his extended family, invited all those who had discipled before because he wanted to honor one man. He wanted to honor Abe, his pastor, who would not let him go. What would happen if the church became that kind of fellowship? If we were the kind of believers with one another that when one of our lives gets sidetracked or strayed or going in the wrong direction, we will not let each other go. We won't force a hand but we'll pursue a heart. Would you want your friends to be a part of a fellowship like that? Would you want your friends to be in a place where others around you, you could confidently believe that they had the eyes of a Barnabas to edify rather than to criticize? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a fellowship like that? No wonder in Antioch the church blossomed in numbers because of the quality of the couplings, of the relationships, of the people who are doing the loving on the inside. That can happen in any church, I believe. And I want that to happen in this church. On, on, on your sermon notes this next week, I, I, I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to know what those questions are going to be. They're down at the bottom, little check boxes. Next week, you'll get them again. I just want to preview those. But this week, as you walk away this morning, I'm wondering if the Holy Spirit might be asking a couple of different things from you. Number one, is God calling you to be a Barnabas? Pray about that. Listen to the Spirit. Is that something that's for me? I think it is, but it doesn't matter what your pastor thinks. It matters what you and the Holy Spirit decide together. Are you a person walking away this morning that realizes that your vision needs an update? That you need to see others new, for we are no longer see any man according to the flesh. For you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Can you see that new creation evolving in somebody else's life? Do you have the eyes to see it? Maybe even before they see it. Is today calling you to an eye exam? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to help him give you that vision for people around you? To help you see 
as Barnabas sees. Is God calling you to get attached as Barnabas attached himself to Saul? Is, is that kind of relationship something that God is stirring? And then this next week, I want to ask you those specific questions. I want this to take traction. I don't want these to be just Christian concepts that we, that we hear. Every Christian needs a Barnabas, and every Christian needs a Timothy, and everybody nods to the general knowledge of that, but none of us have it working in our lives. As your pastor, I want to do better for you than that. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we listen to your spirit. Even now as the worship team comes to play this this song that lifts our hearts directly to you. Father, I, I just want to encourage all those within the sound of my voice to remain true to Christ to connect to you right now, Lord God, and to let your spirit working in us define our next steps, our present trajectory, and how we walk out our discipleship. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make that clear, that your sweet spirit would give us a want to for what you're showing us we should do. As we think about it, God, would you reinforce it with excitement, with, with joy, with anticipation that we might know it's truly your calling in our life. Father, we pray that our lives would find traction and discipleship as never before. We trust you to guide us towards that kind of reality. Continue to speak, continue to lead, help us to follow this morning you want to be a Barnabas there's one thing that qualifies you for that and that is that this Holy Spirit lives within you if this morning you would make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior he not only forgives you of your sin he deposits his spirit within your heart and within your life do you want that this morning Are you ready to walk with a power in your life that's far beyond your own? Are you ready to become not just what you've managed, but what the Lord can do in and through your life? He has a great design for it. He celebrates you. Would you entrust yourself to him? We invite you to this altar this morning to Make that exchange with God. Only you can do it. And the good news is, you can do it right now as we stand and sing. God, for your spirit that invites us to come just as we are, that envelops us with arms of grace and never lets go. Lord God, we come to you. May your grace project continue in each of our hearts and in each of our lives. May we become partners in it together. In the name of your strong son, Jesus, who lives and reigns in our hearts and in this place and through us in this world, God bless you for being our God. We thank you for your blessings upon us in Jesus' name. And now in the strength of God the Father, the fellowship of Christ the Son, the power of the Holy Spirit, Live his life through you 
as you exit this place, as you live it together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I declare it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday.